kid. Chris, are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's roll. Let's play ball. So you've spoken at 1A Performance Center, where I train, about the need to be prepared for the game you're playing today. What is it that you do as a bullpen coach for the Cubs and formerly the Phillies that you have to do to prepare? I think it I think it always starts with your own guys. It's making sure your own guys have everything they need that day to get going from checking in with them to see how they're feeling, checking in with them to talk about the night before, checking in to talk about that day, checking in with just how life's going. So I think you, you spend the first part of the day really just checking in with your guys and making sure everyone's in a good spot and healthy and feels good and in a good headspace and and then from there, then you start to you start to take that then to the opponent that night and what their lineup looks like and who we have available that night. Where do we, as a group, think each reliever fits best versus three or four guys in their lineup? And how would we go about getting those guys out with those guys and, and come up with a good plan from there? But more importantly, it really it, it starts with our guys on a daily basis. I don't really need you to name names, but can you tell us the kind of routines that you see some of the pitchers go through as they prepare to get into that game? Yeah, I think what's interesting is a lot of these routines start taking place at one o'clock at two o'clock during the day. It's guys going through their their routine shoulder care or guys that might have some issues that our training staff has identified. They're going through hip flexibility programs, things of that nature, shoulder care, arm care. These guys get in there early to, to go through that. They'll get, in the, they'll get in there and they'll work out. And then we're generally out there for a seven o'clock game at about three o'clock for a staff, for a, for a staff stretch. And and what's neat is being around these guys at this level that they've gotten to the point where they pretty much know what they need each day. And, and so you'll, the guy or two that hasn't pitched in three or four days might stretch it out a little bit and he's going to want to go get 15 pitches off the mound. And the guy that pitched uh, the night before is might cut, cut his throwing a little bit shorter to be ready. I think these guys, they all have, for the most part, the guys that have been around have routines that suit them. That is relievers, they've built in some flexibility for just based off of their usage. It's that routine might change if they've gone two out of the last three days or three out of the last four. So there's some flexibility there. And then I think you try to take you take the young kids and try and build in, try and give them some ideas, trying to give them some thoughts and or even more importantly, get them with an older guy that's got a routine and allow them to start shaping their own routine. So one of the videos I've seen of you is you playing the air guitar and dancing in the bullpen with everybody else. How do you keep a good attitude in the bullpen, even if you were having a rough game? Yeah, so I, I think being in the bullpen, it's a rare job. It's You're sitting there, you're drinking a bottle of water, you're shooting sunflower seeds, you're watching the game, a phone rings, you get 15 pitches, and then you're right out in the middle of the fire and expected to perform a majority of the time win or lose is on the line potentially there. And so I think you have to really, you have to get the feeling of the room, but more importantly, like kind of know each guy and know what makes them tick, know which guy likes to joke around, know which guy when it's past the fifth inning starts to get a little bit more serious. I, I think probably as a group, you start out there a little lighthearted the first couple innings, if everything's going to plan. And, and then as the starters pitch count progresses, you start to see guys get into their own routines, whether they're stretching, they're working on the, they're working on a little shoulder warm up or what, but I really think just trying to keep them in the right mind so that when that phone rings, they've got an idea of what's going to happen and, and trying to communicate with them as best as possible. So that, 
when that phone rings, you can try to lessen the amount of shock that happens. You, you in a in a perfect world, you love it when that phone rings, and there's one, maybe two guys at most that expect it to be them in that moment. And I think by communicating with guys beforehand, you can try and give them some comfort there. And and on the air guitar, the playing the the piano, the inflatable instruments, like. That's really just trying to get a group out there to just have fun and relax. These guys have an incredibly stressful job, and and they don't need to be stressing out about it when they don't need to be stressing out about it. There's a group down there. We try and do a good job to uh, to keep the mood light when it's not when it's light, and then these guys know when it's time to lock it in. Who came up with the idea of dancing every time, every single time a homer's? Yeah. So before I had gotten there, they had done some dancing stuff, and it was pretty popular. And, and I think one of the things that that I had talked to our bullpen catcher about Chad Noble, who Chad's the, he's the ringleader down there. He's got the jokes. He's loose. He's planting the firecrackers in the phone. Like he, he's got all those jokes. And one of the things we had talked about was continue with the dancing, but maybe doing it a different route. And so we have a lot of fun down there with guys trying to uh, predict home runs for our own team. And so you might see someone say, Hey, I got I, Chris Bryant rolls up and, Hey, I got KB going deep right here. And for the most part, we, there was a few exceptions, but for the most part, if a guy called a home run and the guy hit it, that was when we would pretty much let loose down there and, and goof off. And our bullpen catcher, when, you know, during when they play the walkout songs, he's always playing some type of air instrument. To add to the fun, I went on Amazon one day this, this past season and searched inflatable instruments. And then two days later, there you go. We had some props down there to have some fun with. It seemed like a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was. It's the guys got into it. They, they're it's like I said, I respect how hard the job is, which those guys have. And so I, I think respecting that and and wanting to prepare them as best as possible for it. I think part of that preparation too is is being loose and, and having a free mind before that pressure situation arises. And so as a group down there, we try to have some fun when it's time to have fun. So when a player is about to go into that pressure situation, what are you watching for and what are you telling him? Yeah, it, it's you're lucky enough that that we get to be around those guys every day. And these guys, when they're getting warm, the neat part about it really for me is these guys are big leaguers. Like they're they're getting they know what they're doing when they're getting warm. And for me, it's really starting to learn their routines. And once you learn their routine, you've got a kind of a feel of what's going on. It's when things happen a little bit different than the routine is where is where you start to, you don't worry a little bit, but you just start to think, okay, this is different. What's going on? And sometimes it's just the game is going really fast. And it's like, all right, like we got to call down and stall a little bit because I still need this guy to get through his routine. And so you're watching him warm up. You're watching him go through their warm-up routine. And then as the situation arises, we'll always have – I say always, you generally have a pretty good idea of who is warming up for which hitter. There's communication from the dugout. There's communication as a coaching staff before the game where we're talking about, hey, we like this guy versus this guy. And, and I know now if that guy's two guys away, there's a really good chance that's when the manager is going to want to go get him. And so you start to give him some nuggets in his ear about what to expect. Hey, you're going to have, you remember we talked about using the curveball first pitch and then throwing the heater up, and then when it's time to finish him, going back to the curveball. And, and, and so that he has some knowledge, he's got some understanding of when he goes out there that 
he's going to feel be he's going to be empowered that he gets out to the mound, the manager's out there, the catcher's out there, and goes, hey, like we got first pitch curveball, then we're going to go up and then down. That you complete that circle and you and you build. I think you can build some confidence in guys that way. Is they're understanding exactly why they're going in, and and if we're doing our job, that guy is going in to use his strength, which makes which only empowers them even more. So, what are some of the things that the pitchers do when they're done? What's what's their uh, post pitching routine? Yeah, it, it all varies. It really does, and I think some guys will sit in the dugout and watch a little bit more than others. Some guys go get up and they, they go right to the shoulder tube. Some guys go right to a shoulder program. If it's a reliever who potentially that was his third out of four days and he knows he's down the next day, sometimes those guys go right to the weight room, the weight room right there and, and will get after it pretty heavily with a lift knowing that they've got the next 36 hours off. It really does vary. I, I think each guy, we try to do a good job getting these guys to understand where they're at. If they have any inefficiencies that, you know, that those are good times to work on them. But it really varies. But generally, it's some sort of they're starting their recovery process. Then when you play 162 and 185, 90 days, that recovery process is, is crucial to be ready to go the next day. So you have a young son who plays baseball. If he wants to be a pitcher, what advice would you be giving him? And how do you train him to be his best? Yeah, I think the first thing I always want to see out of him is just does he really want to do it? And does he want to love it? And is it fun for him? And because I, I think those are important for any kids. And I also think in my situation, it's unique. Like, it's extremely important for my own son because he's always going to be the son of a dad that played professional baseball and a dad that coaches professional slash major league pitchers. Be sure that he's that it's fun for him, that he enjoys it, I think is is really just the most it's important for any kid, period. It's really important, I think, like for for kids like mine that that are looked at a tick differently for none of their own fault because they have a parent that was a professional athlete and really just try and make sure that he's always the one that says hey I want to go play catch hey dad he hey can we go pitch hey dad can I go to 180 and do some stuff tonight I, I really don't push it the other way around I'll ask him like hey dude like this thing's coming up on Friday what do you got he's like, oh man I love it or, but like, I also think it doesn't happen but if I was to get I don't know dad it'd be like it'd be a simple hey man no problem like we don't have to go so I, I really start there and then as far as like, what do you teach him gosh man I try to be super simple he's 10 years old like I try to keep it as simple as I can I'm a firm believer from 10 to the big leagues that you got to use the ground and you got to get your hips in the right place and that's really all I've done with them is hey buddy let's get this leg up let's get the hips where they need to go and let's understand about what the ground's there for and go. I, I think in big leaguers and I think 10 year olds, when you're working from the ground up, a lot of things can help click into place that maybe you don't have to train as much. But we do what we do. So we do some of those things. We fool around with some change up grips and some two seam grips, but I'd like to think not a whole lot different than most dads are doing with their 10 year olds. I'm probably two hands off at times because I have some respect for how long this road is and, and everyone that says, hey, it goes fast, like I, I, I lived it and I completely understand it. And I also, I also have a lot of respect for the fact that the tournament in Taylor, Texas on a Sunday in August isn't going to define his baseball life. So if he has to learn a lesson from failure, I, I think that's equally as important as, as anything else that happens at 10. So can you share the best advice you've heard from another coach that you either played for or you got to work with? 
That's a good question. It's a good question because I'm old. And so I've had a lot of really good coaches. It's also good. It's, I think this will probably be an answer you weren't expecting. I probably learned more about being an athlete from my high school basketball coach than I did anywhere else. And it was really simple. My high school basketball coach was this scary man that yelled and whistled and and demanded that you do all these things that everybody on the outside was scared of them. And, and me too, when I was in ninth grade, I'm like, I don't want to go through that. When you go through that, you learn that it's really simple and that it's a couple small things that are really the biggest piece of the pie. And like one, there's a standard at which things are done that is non-negotiable. And I think that was just something that really resonated with me. And, and I think the other thing was that when you were given a task, that task is to be completed as taught to the best of your ability or else there's consequences. And it was very much, if you're on help defense, your foot is supposed to be in the middle of the lane, even with the basket and a foot away from that was just not acceptable and was going to cause you to, yeah, to be yelled at, to be screamed at. But that really wasn't the point was, is you were taught a way to do it. You were not doing it the way you were taught and you weren't doing it up to the standard at which was expected of you. And so I, I think like, those two things have just really stuck with me my whole life. It's really, you've got 10 poles to run. It's running 10 and it's getting to the foul line every time or getting to, yeah, getting to the foul line every time because that's the expectation. That's what you were supposed to do. And I think that those lessons have never left me the athlete and they're lessons that, you know, I, I try to instill in my son and they're lessons that you try and instill in major leaguers when, when the time calls for it. Last question here, probably the yep. most important question here. What is your favorite baseball book? My favorite baseball book? Man, that's a good question. I would tell you that the mental ABCs of pitching is something that I've got marked up, that I've got notes written in, stuff highlighted in from when I pitched in college to when I pitched in in pro ball that's been through two different covers on it. Because I, I think it's a book whether I think I've shared it before, like my 10 year old has it and a lot of it, he doesn't understand, but a lot of times we'll sit and read it together and I can get it to him in a way that, that understands that when you're failing and things are going fast, that breathing is important. And that's an important at 10 and it's important. It's an important message. And when you're sending a guy in in the ninth inning of a game versus the Cardinals in September. And, and I got a lot, I took a really, a lot out of that book. I still do. I still carry it with me. I've, I've got it with me today. It's, it's a really neat book that I, I think I highly recommend for everybody. I didn't want that to be a cliche answer, but it, it's really essentially my go-to. I've read a bunch of, of very unique books about baseball. I actually just finished one about Ben Petrick who was a catcher, a top prospect in the, for the Colorado Rockies, who had developed early early Parkinson's disease and was playing through it. And, and that book was incredibly interesting and impactful for me. I want to tell you, I went through a Nolan Ryan autobiography back in the day and been through a few. Those are the ones that stick out to me. And the mental ABCs of pitching again, like I said, it's just something I've had for a while that it always seems like you can go dig up the right answer when you, when you need to. Yep. Chris, thank you so much for playing ball. Absolutely, man. Glad to do it. Hey, it's Sammy here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would like to ask for your help. Tell me what questions you would like answered. If you could also take a moment to review the show, 
The algorithms are taking into account how many ratings and reviews I get. The more reviews, the more people they restore the podcast with. And don't forget to play ball, kid.